to get the ideal team player, you need a person who's hungry, humble, and smart. Hungry, obviously, being that they want to have success. Humble, meaning it's not about them. And smart, meaning not book smart, but like street savvy smart. I just started to drive that concept and talk about that concept that we have to become this. And, and that's the vision. So the hungry, humble, smart idea is you can't change certain things about people, but you know what you can do? You can help somebody become hungry. You can help somebody become smart. You can educate. Factor can do that. You can do that as a leader. Make people the right people. Stacy Campbell has always been hungry, humble, and smart. In his process of building a championship organization, he doesn't just look for privileged backgrounds, top-tier schools, or other external factors for success, because he didn't need any of that in his life in order to become a champion. Stacy's story is marked by modest means, finding great mentors, consistent progress, and a competitive drive to be the best. Put it all together, and this self-proclaimed ordinary guy has been able to accomplish extraordinary things. More importantly, he's been able to help legions of others to do the same. This is the story of one of Cutco Vector's great champions, the Lone Star Division Manager, Stacy Campbell. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Stacy Campbell, one of the preeminent division executives in the Vector Cutco organization right now. Stacy has been in the business since 1992. Started out in Kansas City, Missouri. He became a district manager in 1994 in Wichita, Kansas. Over the years, he matriculated south, relocated to Fort Worth for a while, and then down to Austin, Texas, where he became the division manager of the Lone Star Division in 2004. And Stacy has slowly but surely built one of the preeminent organizations in the company. Lone Star was the national champion division in 2018. Following that, with Stacy's support and approval, a part of the division was carved out to create a new opportunity for one of Stacy's top guys. Had it all been together as one big piece in 2019, it would have been far and away the national champion organization again. And so I am speaking with truly one of the preeminent leaders in the Vector Marketing Cutco organization today. Stacey Campbell, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Well, thank you, Dan. And thanks for doing this, by the way. These things are great for our people and great for uh, hopefully people in and out of the business. So yeah. We appreciate you. Great. Well, I appreciate hearing that as well. 
And I'm really looking forward to having your story told to our audience. And I want to begin by having people get to know you a little bit on a personal level. And so I think it'd be great for everybody to hear a little bit about your personal background before your days with Vector and Cutco. Why don't you jump in on that and tell us uh, what you want to tell us? Yeah, no problem. Well, I grew up in a pretty modest uh, way back in back in my early days. My parents were great parents. They uh, obviously taught me a ton of great things and did a lot of things uh, financially. Didn't have a lot. We actually, if you believe this, Dan, we actually had a sheep farm. We actually literally had a sheep farm where we uh, we raised sheep and lived on my grandpa's place and 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 basically that's how I kind of grew up. Went into the high school days and basically I I, I started working when I was like thirteen years old. Um, because of finances, basically just having to step in and go, okay, I have to help buy my basketball shoes. I mm-hmm. have to do these things because it, I can't lean on my parents to do these things. I can't lean on mom or dad or those kind of things. So it was a, a time, you know, it was, I look back on it and I go, wow, you know, like you, you don't really want that for your kids. But in hindsight for me, it was probably a valuable lesson that I learned. Yeah. There are certainly some lessons that come out of that type of background that are really important, you know? And I think in a way, we kind of do want some of that for our kids, but just without the pressure of the consequence if they can't, you know, buy their own shoes and everything. So, but cool to hear that that is where you came from and that, uh, you know, the, the modest means that you started with, I think is really a theme of what I know about you is, you know, you've always built yourself out to be this like ordinary guy. When in reality, you truly are extraordinary. But the ordinary beginnings of your life, of your career, I think is something that people can really draw a lot of confidence from, uh, especially knowing where you are now. How did you get started with Vector? Well, I started in 92. Saw a poster at school. Um, so uh, we uh, back in... Obviously still put up posters, but I remember getting a po- or seeing a poster as I was waiting for one of my track. I ran track and cross country in college. And I was waiting for one of my teammates. And I said, there, like, what's this poster? It's a job. Went home, saw it again in the newspaper. And I guess I was beckoned in this direction and, and started in uh, 92 as a representative in the Kansas City office and just kind of started my process there. And this was with Kevin Gardner? Yep. Started in Kevin Gardner's Kansas City office. Um, it, was, it was a very talented office, to say the least, uh, that, that we had that in, back in those days. Uh, Ron Wolke was our pilot sales manager, but Scott Dennis was a top rep in that office. Laura Kotz did my interview and training. Uh, Kent Weathers was in there. Like it was, it was a beefed up loaded office in hindsight. Yeah, that's incredible. Awesome. What were some of the uh, experiences or lessons from the early part of your career that you feel stand out the most? That could be a podcast in and of itself if you wanted to do that. But, but really the things that jumped out were as a representative Again, I didn't grow up with the greatest connections in the world, you know, to go, hey, go see these three. My best five customers weren't what you consider to be best five customers. How about that? So for me, it was just, you know, the, the consistency. Like I was, I was a below average rep. Like I, everything was below average when I started. My average order size below average, my closing percentage. But, but just the confidence that people put in me, it was like, hey, you can just keep going, just keep doing this. So, so I learned a lesson of, you know, for, for me as a manager, not to ever give up on people, not to kind of back away from people. But the things I learned was that, that as a rep personally, was just keep going, just keep working, just keep working, keep working, keep working. Eventually, things are going to turn your direction. If you have, you know, they say the law of averages, that's really was a big thing as a rep was the law of averages. And then as a manager, 
during those early years of, hey, there, there's people like you out there who need a little bit more, who need a little more confidence. Not everybody's going to be you know, blessed with perfection when they walk out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of a Jim Rohnism where he says, make up an effort what you lack in skill. And in your case, it might not necessarily be what you lacked in skill, but your resources might have been a little less than other people's were. And maybe, you know, skill level took time to develop for you. But the effort that was put in over time consistently helped you become successful as a sales rep. And obviously, as we get into talking about your management career, it really is a mirror image of that where you've been on this, you know, path of sort of slow, steady upward progress for the majority of your career. So it's pretty cool to see that. Any other particular standout experiences you have from the early part of your career? Well, you know, I was a branch manager twice. My, my first branch summer uh, was in Joplin, Missouri, back in, well, I guess it had been 93, um, one year after I started. So during that summer, it was just a, probably a, a biggest learning thing of just life, like learning how to live life even beyond the vector. It's learning how to communicate better with people not just in the vector world, but outside of it, learning how to negotiate a place to live for three months, learning how to negotiate, you know, different things and, and just the learning skills of that first branch office, you know, it's why, you know, I mean, I would encourage everybody to take a stab at running a branch office if for no other reason, just to grow up, you know, just to grow up in the world. So that was a huge win for me. And when they said, Hey, would you like to do it again? In 94, I was absolutely back in the door to say, yeah, I'll give it another stab because my first go around, wasn't great. Like it was okay, but it wasn't great. But I said, man, if I could get another run at this, it would be awesome. So that's why as a competitor, you kind of go, hey, I want another chance at But that first branch summer, just the learning, the growth. I mean, the list of things that I got out of that branch summer was amazing. Yeah. I would definitely echo what you just said about the branch manager experience. Like you, I did it twice. Like you, my first one left something to be desired. And the second time around, you know, really nailed it and learned so much that was relevant for real life. So it's cool to hear that you had those experiences as well. How about now as we move into your district manager career? You're in Wichita, you went to Fort Worth and then Austin. What were some of the transformational experiences that uh, really impacted your career? Well, I would say the DM role transformed my life as a whole um, from where I was. Because I looked at the district manager role as that opportunity to... You know, I hear people talk about this. It was when you're growing up, if you're depending on what you do. For me, I'm big into sports. So I always assumed I was going to be an NBA player. Um, that never transpired as my you know, body never made it to that level. Um, then it was like, you know, I got into cross country and track and I was good. So I was always real competitive, you know, like, okay, we do this. But, you know, the DM opportunity gave me a place to kind of almost have that pro sports type opportunity, right? To be a pro, to compete, to make quality money, to have these things. So for me, it was just the whole transformation along the way. My early days, we became a DM. And then the next year, we got married. So it was a quick turnaround. Then we had a, our son a year later, our, our oldest son, Brandon. So it was learning how those transformational things were learning how to be a dad, a husband, and a district manager. And mm-hmm. I, I can't say I was good at it at the beginning. That's for sure. Like some people might be going through this process. It took a while to figure out, hey, my wife still needs me. And it took me a couple of years to figure some of that stuff out. So that was transformational, like to learn how to work with a family and work with the business and to do that. And I was 21 years old, 22 years old. You know, wow. going, hey, let's make this transformation in this process. There was one thing that I remember this one specific thing. 
it was in the fall of 95. I've had some movement forward, but we went on an Olean trip and they took all the DMs. And I remember going and coming home. And back in those days, remember, if you didn't put your ads in the paper on Sunday, your whole week was shot, right? Like it was like the whole week was ruined because you ruined Monday and Tuesday's recruiting because by the time you put the yeah, ads in, yeah. it's like Wednesday. And yeah. the Sunday ads had to be in like Friday oh, yeah. at noon or something, yeah. Thursday so we at in, five. We were in Olean <laughs> and I didn't get the ads in. And, and I remember coming back home and, and I didn't have enough money to pay all the bills I wanted that I needed to pay. I just messed that up. And I remember it was cold, rainy night in Wichita, Kansas. And I went on this walk and my wife's like, where are you going? I go, I don't know. And I just went kind of on a walk run, we'll call it. And I remember in the process going, I will never feel this way again. Like, and just that moment of going, I'm not going to go down this path, which was kind of a funny thing because I said it that night and it took like a year before I finally had the transformation. But I just always remember that night going, I want to get out of this feeling, this feeling of mm-hmm. not being ahead, not being in the right place, not having what I want, not having for my family. That was a transformational moment, not just a, a thing that I remember happened. But all that was accumulation of those early days as a DM. Yeah, it seems like you had a ton of responsibility at a, just a young age with taking on the district manager role and then immediately getting married, almost immediately having your first child and being able to balance all that. And it just seems to me that it's normal for almost anyone in that position to have some struggle, you know, to figure it all out and pull it all together. And for you to have that moment that you just described is something I think a lot of people can relate to. I really believe that a lot of us have these, what I call moments of truth. And uh, a moment of truth is a time where we make a sometimes a seemingly small decision, but that decision has a profound impact on the rest of our life. And you know, here you were confronted with being in this period of struggle and just deciding like that wasn't how it was going to be, right? That it was going to be different for you and you were going to step out of that. And anybody can make that decision, no matter how old you are, no matter what place you're in, anybody can make the decision that tomorrow is going to be different than today or yesterday were, and that uh, we're going to start a new path and take on new opportunities and achieve new success. So it's cool to hear you go through that. Yeah, and, and I think what's important to understand is that when I, that night, I remember going, I'll never feel this way again. But it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't a overnight like, okay, Tuesday morning, I woke up and I was like, well, look at that, everything's fixed. I mean, it took time, but just the emotion of going, I won't feel this way again, mm-hmm. then moved the process over, I, I refer to it as a year. It might've been six months. It might've been 14 months, but there was a movement to go, all right, you can get mad all you want. You can cry, you can whine, you can do whatever you want about life. But ultimately, it's about decisions we're making. I had got myself to that point. I had to get myself out of that point, right? You yeah. know, so it was like that moment of transformation, change, whatever you'd want to call it. And that was one I always remember from those early DM days. And it wasn't early, early in my DM days. It was a couple of years down the road, but it still was in my early DM days. Yeah. What about as you evolve towards division manager? Well, as I evolved to division manager, you know, I love the DM role. So once I figured it out, after it took a while, as we've kind of covered. So once I figured it out, Dan, it was like, man, the DM role was unbelievable. Like I got offered a DVM role and turned it down because I was like, I don't want to move. I just want to stay right here and do what I'm doing. Because at that point, I, I, I mean, a couple of years in a row, three years in a row, top five district in the country, you know, had lots of development. You know, my office was staffed to the middle. You know, it was just like, why would I leave this thing? So, 
so what was funny is my my wife, who's so supportive, obviously has been through everything, and you know, obviously has you know from the early days to those days. Well, I, when I became a DVM, my first year as a DVM, it was like I just started all over again. Like I started all the process of this. So my early DVM days. What's a funny story is she actually about a year, probably I was about a year into being a DVM. It was like starting all over again. Like, okay, I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that right. Sales weren't where we wanted it to be. And she goes, maybe you should just go back and be a DM. You were good at that. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, I refuse. You know, I will be good at this. So the early days were similar as a DVM, just learning how, learning, growing, and going through the process of, of growth. So you can almost mirror image my rep days to my DM days to my DVM days. It was a slow growth. As, as I joked about at SLC, it was that concept of, hey, I'm not good at anything. You know, it's like there's nothing you can come out and say, oh, let's get him to speak on that because he's really good at that. You know, it's like, but what what I have become is understanding that, hey, it's okay if you're slow at some of this stuff. It's okay if you're a district manager, a branch manager, or even if you're in another business and you're not perfect. If you just keep the consistency there, then ultimately the win will be there. I want as a rep, I want as a DM, I want as a DVM, not because of something spectacular, but from something that was less than spectacular that just kept moving and moving and moving and staying persistent with whatever you're doing in or out of this business. You kind of need that. Yeah. You know, it's modest of you to say you're not good at anything or however it was that you put it now and how you put it when you spoke at our SLC or strategic leadership conference for our company. In reality, it may be that you're not considered a expert at any one niche of the business, but that you're so good at all facets of the business that in some total, you've become one of the top people in the company. That's how I feel like Lloyd looks at it. And uh, certainly how I think a lot of your peers and others view you as well. So you're far too modest, Stacy. Who have been some of the most important influences on your career or on your life? There's obviously my wife. Uh, You know, she is a uh, full vector person, you know, because... She obviously started, like we met when I was a branch manager. Obviously, she got married when I first became a district manager. So she's literally been through the whole process. Like she's been through every up, every down, every right, every left. So, you know, she's been a major support process. Um, You know, my kids have been awesome in the support process too, just because I had all of my kids as a district manager, you know, so all of my kids were born while I was a district manager, not as a DVM. So they they went through a lot of the DVM growth things um, that I went through as well, you know. So they've been great. But but people in the business, I mean, when I was a rep, you know, Scott Dennis was in my office as a rep, and without his support, I don't know how good of a rep I would have been because he took me under his wing, as they would say, and really kind of tutored me to being successful. Um, when I became a DM, you know, there was multiple people made impacts, but Amar Deve really kept me in the business. He kept me here. And then once I got to Fort Worth, and I'm not sure what John Carpenter pumped me full of, but he basically really changed me as a DM. Like he really took me to the next level as a DM. So that was a major win for me too. Uh, just his overall tutelage. And, and really, I almost, it's like I say, he let me run a little bit. You know, So that was obviously important. And then obviously his DM, Lloyd's been massively important. 
as obviously all you guys as RMs are to us as DVMs, but but Lloyd's been massively important in showing me, you know, the the ropes as a DVM. And then all of our DVM team in the Southwest region has really challenged me, pushed me, done those things for me, you know, to get me to the next level and 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 get our division for that matter to the next level. Yeah. It's great to be in a place where we can have so many great mentors and colleagues that help uplift us. And for any of you who are part of Vector right now, I think it's important to realize that the leaders who are around you can be so instrumental in helping you get to where you want to be in life through their example, through the insights they can offer you, through the support they can offer you. And it's so important to take advantage of that because you won't always have the same quality of individuals around you in every workplace. And you sort of have to curate it if you don't have it. But in Vector, it's just readily available. And all of the leaders are typically very giving and open with their time and you know, will really help, uh, as I said, to you know, take you to where you want to be. So that's a powerful part of our company culture. Yes, I, I, would, I would echo that millions of times over. And it's so many different levels, Dan. That's the other part. Not just in your, your business, but like finances. Like Again, I grew up in a, in a house that financially wasn't educated. My parents were great parents. My mom's like one of the best people in the whole wide world. But I didn't get a lot of financial education. But you know, man, the financial education I've received here in the early days, and and even when I didn't have a lot of money to do things with, there was still the education to go, hey, it's what kind of kept me around many times is if I just get this right, I can get this right, right? Like I can get this to a place Mm -hmm. that's unique and different than the rest of the world is. And that has happened, but it took people early kind of really tutoring me and moving me, even when they didn't have the need to, you know, so I would echo that in in lots of ways. And there's tons of people out there who fall into that category who made a big difference. And there's people all across this vector world who do that. The same thing for whether it's finances to even just, you know, personal things that you have issues with. You know, my wife, you know, is in social work and she's like, sometimes it's like you guys as managers or psychologists, you know, psychiatrists, you know, to some degree where you're like, you're not just helping people from the business or the financial, but the personal side of just, hey, this is how you can make it through this personal situation in your life. So yeah, the, the vector business is unique, I think, in that respect, because as we all know, and some of you who might be listening know, it's not like that in every place. It's not like that across the business world as a whole. There may be situations like that, but as a whole, we're, we're, we're in a unique situation. Yeah, that is absolutely the case. And I'm grateful for it. And I know you are. And I'm sure that a lot of the people that have worked with you over the years are highly grateful for your leadership. I'd like to hear a little bit about just how the Lone Star Division has developed in your eyes. Because you know you went from taking over as a division manager in 2004 to building what has become the preeminent organization or one of the preeminent organizations you know, in the company, certainly. And I think it would be instructive for people to hear what that process looked like and what have been some of the key factors in the success of the team. Yeah, for sure. The, the number one key factor, obviously, is you know, the, having the right people in the right seats of the bus. <laughs> okay, that's mm-hmm. been the, the number one thing is when you look at the, the leadership that has rolled through the Lone Star Division, that I've been truly blessed to have them here and what they've done. So, you know, and I would say this if you're building a vector division or you're building any business, you know, that concept of, man, get the right people and get them on the right seats and 
let them drive the bus. You know, it's like when you look at the people over the years from Lone Star, you know, when when Josh Muller showed up to the Lone Star Division and what he was able to transform in the event program that has trickled into the whole company. Right. But I just got the blessing of him coming to me and going, well, you partner with me. And I'm like, sure, if you want to call a partnership 90-10, that looks good. Um, <laughs> but but he like took that thing and ran with it. And then even in that program, Josh stepped away. We had a seamless transition to Pat and Sides, to Dante Reynolds, to these people who just kept driving our event program and driving this thing forward. That became kind of like early on, early on in the process, that was kind of our... Hey, look at look at how good our event program is. It was kind of like the thing we held our hat on that it's transformed now into other areas of our business. But that was kind of that transformational leadership of Josh and Pato and Dante and you know Sean Henry being in that mix and Joseph Rodriguez and Rachel Daggett and all these people who came along the way. And then on the manager side, you know, the, the early days of Marcus Robbins, even and what he built and what he helped us build up till 2012, you know, in that window, just really from nothing when we started, and I say nothing just because we were split off division from uh, the Texoma or from the North Texas division at the time. And what we built through that process and then Nick Smith stepped in and really took it to the next level as a leader, as a district manager, taking it up to being a national champion as an office, building up the growth within the division that really was the, the catalyst to the 2017, 2018, 2019 massive growth of the division that happened along the way. Damian Scott, Will Scheidel, Alex Allman, you know, these people who just really took the reins and ran with the thing. So that that is number one is, and you've heard people on this podcast, you've heard people, if you talk to any vector manager, they'll say something along the lines of, how did you grow? I found my best people and I wrapped my arms around them and held on to them. You know, you've heard Ryan Trimler say that in a podcast here. You've heard Kyle Preeman say that in a podcast. Same thing. It's like, hey, let grab a hold of these people, get the relationship with them, and let them do their thing. Because these people, they maybe are more talented than I am or more talented than their leader is. Let them go be that person that they should be. So that's number one on the list. The second thing is you know, having a vision and, and having a focus. So in 2012, 13, 14, is, and we kind of rebuilt between that window of time. We kind of went up, we had a dip, and then we built from that point forward. Dan, there wasn't a, hey, we're going to win a silver cup in 2018. That's not what we're going to do. That wasn't the, like, hey, this is going to happen on this date. But there was a vision of, hey, this is where we're headed. This is the growth that we're after. And you know, I read a, read a book uh, by Patrick Linocioni called The Ideal Team Player. And it's like in that book, it talks about hungry, humble, and smart. Like that's what it talks about. To get the ideal team player, you need a person who's hungry, humble, and smart. Hungry, obviously, being that they want to have success. Humble, meaning it's not about them. And smart, meaning not book smart, but like street savvy smart. You know, so in our business, it's the this is the funny one, right? That we relate to. Hey, walk into a team meeting. Hey, where is everybody? Not smart, <laughs> right? You know, it's like you're not smart moment. It's like the smart person who just goes, Oh, I guess this is here today, right? Like but that's hungry, humble, smart. And we just I just started to drive that concept and talk about that concept that we have to become this. And, and that's the vision is we have a group of people who are just hungry, almost right. Everybody's an ideal team player because if you're the ideal team player, you're great for yourself. Like you're going to be good for you, but you'll be the ideal team player. And that was just kind of the move. And, and then the moments happened where it was like, okay, we're getting a little closer to number one. 
if we just change these few things, we can be number one. So while well, we we are number one, now if we can just continue to grow that thing to number one. So having a vision, and people talk about vision, but I think the, the important thing is the vision can't be your vision that you're telling others is going to happen. The mm. vision has to be like, hey, this is what you are going to become. This is what you're going to become. Not what the division is going to become, not what your business is going to become, but what are you going to become by being part of that organization, that business, that whatever. Like, that's an important, I feel like, based on what I've seen happen, I feel like that's an important thing. So I just think those two factors. And then I'd also add a third factor. And that is sometimes it kind of goes with the right person concept, but it's like make people the right people. <laughs> that's the other one too. So the hungry, humble, smart idea is you can't change certain things about people, but you know what you can do? You can help somebody become hungry. You can help somebody become smart. You can educate. So the concept of, hey, get the right people, put them in the right places. But then your other people that are around, make them the right people. Like there are people who I think we've, the leaders of this division have made right people who if you were to go backwards and look at them when they were early on, they were the right people then they were turned into the right people. Because Vector can do that. You can do that as a leader to turn them into the right people. So, so I think those two things in particular, but then the third one's kind of like mixes into the mix underneath, kind of going, if I can just make sure I look and who do I have? Who do I have right now? And make, the, you know, John Carpenter has a great saying, take what you have and make what you want. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, just take what you have, make what you want. Things aren't always perfect. You're in a business. Things aren't going to be perfect. You're in life. Life's not going to be perfect. Look at the world around us, right? It's not going to be perfect. You just take what you have, make what you want. And Vector's so good at that anyway. But we have to always remember that that is the process. So our growth has really been from those two factors. And then the third one just kind of going, hey, we got to make sure everybody feels this thing. Yeah, that's awesome. That was great, great stuff in there, Stacey. And uh, that just spirit of taking what you have and making what you want, it's a positive view. It's a great perspective. And I think it's something that anybody can learn and can embrace in whatever it is that they're doing. And it applies to a lot more than just building a business. So that was cool. Yeah. I want to hear about the roles that you play in the lives of your boys. Because, uh, you know, I know you've got uh, three boys, right? They're 23, 21, and 18 as of when we're recording this. And you have been very active in coaching, coaching sports for all of them over their lifetimes. And now two of them are working with us here in the Vector Cutco business. And so I would just love to hear more about this. Well, sure. Uh, man, so the role I played, let's see, uh, pain in their butt. Um, let's see. <laughs> so I'm sure there's lots of roles they would tell you that are different than I probably feel like I played um, in their lives. But man, uh, so I was very big into the coaching uh, things in basketball and, and, and things of that type in there throughout their years, just because, and again, I guess I attribute a little of this to Vector, is that it's kind of like, I was a big fan of basketball and I, looking back, I had a great high school basketball coach who taught me a lot of great things. And, and so I was like, man, I'm better than all these other guys. Like I'm, I'm actually better than all these other people in the process. So, so I, need to, I need to get involved. So I got involved and that, that's, the reason, that's the reason I got involved. But, but I mean, I, I want them to be a person who really seeks their best you know, all the time. So that was mm-hmm. part of the reason for coaching was that, I watch other coaches who kind of, you know, you get the trophy no matter what. It's like, no, you don't get the trophy no matter what. Like that doesn't happen automatically. You know, so trying to teach them to be competitive, to take the talent they have and making what's good from it, like doing some of those kind of things. So, so I coached my 
oldest son from basically the time he was in second grade till a freshman in high school. Um, my middle son, Ethan, he kind of got away with not getting me coached as much because he was kind of stuck in between the first and the second and, and or the third. And Garrett, my youngest son, I coached him from, I guess, second grade till, well, technically, I guess I coached him till he was a senior in high school through uh, summer leagues and and uh, you know, fall spring leagues and stuff of that type. I don't know. Once they get to high school, Dan, I don't know if you ever coach them again. Like once they once they get to be sophomores, they know more than you. So at that point, I don't know. So yeah, so I was pretty heavily involved in those kind of things, and obviously making a big difference in helping them and their roles and and the things that they were doing in life along the way. Yeah, yeah. How about getting them into Vector? I know uh, two of your boys are in Vector now. Yeah, yeah. So I've been blessed as of the recording. Actually, it's really kind of cool. We, uh, my youngest son Garrett, actually was just on the national sales report as the number eight rep or something of that in the country. Um, he actually took five weeks to get to thirty-five grand in sales. So wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's that's awesome doing well. And then at the same time, uh, my middle son is was the number thirteen, twelve, thirteen, fourteen branch in the country at the same time. So. That was kind of a fun moment, okay? Um, especially as the division was top of the country too. So it was kind of like, oh, look at this. You know, so there was, it was a fun... That's just kind of a fun moment. I will tell you this, Dan. I've learned so much from them being a rep that if you're a vector manager, listen to this, and you have kids, you need them to be a rep, not for them, but for you. <laughs> like, like, because man, it's such a... Tra- like attitudinally and what we go through... like. You know, I, I used to joke of my, my middle son, Ethan, was a rep, man. No wonder parents tell their kids to go get another job. Because it's like the kid sleeps till... T- and my son didn't do this because in his early days, he, he wasn't doing this much. But, I, but you can see this happening where a kid would sleep till 10 o'clock, wake up, do an 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock demo. By the time mom and dad gets back home, they're sitting there on the couch in their boxers again. But that kid sold, you know, did two demos and sold 800 bucks. And at 30%, they made $240. They made more than mom and dad did that day. (laughs) And then them sitting on the couch in their boxers watching TV. And they're like, go get a job, son. Like, it's like, so it was that moment of going, holy crap, we got to get our reps to be a little more active and doing stuff just so mom and dad feel like they're active. And the other thing is too, is doing two demos a day or three demos a day is really successful. Like we talk about that as being successful. But it's not really working that much. Like it's not really truly working that much, right. which is great for the student and great for the income opportunity and great. But for mom and dad, there's a different feel. So it's less about like, oh my, well, no wonder this kid gets pushed into going to get another job or you should go do this as it doesn't feel as well. So it was that moment of, hey, we got to be better with our reps. There was those moments of, holy crap, that's our phone approach. Like, wait, you're calling my friend? Like, no, you, gotta, you, you do that phone approach a little better. Right, like it's like you're calling my friend. Well, you're gonna have to be better at that phone approach. You're gonna be better at those particular things. So early on, man, it was magically good for me for him to become a rep and me to have to sit there and go, "Ooh, yeah, we got to. We need to work on this. Like, we need to make our reps better at this." And it really almost re-engaged me as an office manager to go, "Hey, our people have to be taken care of better," because. If this was my kid, because it is, okay, <laughs> like, it's like uh, we would do this differently. So that was big. You know, my youngest son just created a whole new layer, a whole new layer for me, Dan, with him because um, he's dyslexic and he's a very functional dyslexic. Gets great grades and all that stuff, but he's dyslexic. Like he's truly dyslexic. So reading is a challenge for him. Um, so what do we tell our people? Read the manual. Read the manual. Read the manual. You'll be fine if you just read that manual, right? 
And it's like, he's, he's sitting there. And obviously in the current world where it's like, read the thing off the screen and do all this stuff, there's not actually even a manual. So we printed out a manual. We're like, here, read this manual. And, and he's like trying to do this. And it was funny because his middle brother was there at the office when he was training. And he goes, I'm just going to wing it. I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> and, and of course, in the vector world, when somebody says they're going to wing it, it's like, oh, you will die. Like, you can't do that. You know, it's like, so we were just totally like, hey, dude, you can't wing it. So I literally went home that night, Dan, and retyped up a manual. And I was just like, how do you want it? You want it bullet points? You want it in what you wanted it? And so I put it bullet. But it made me pause for a minute. My wife, who's in social work and sees this stuff every day, she just looks at me. She goes, you know, there's more than him out there who feels this way, right? Mm. And I was like, no, I didn't realize it till right now, but now I do. <laughs> it's like wow. that concept of we have these people. So, you know, dyslexic people, they say in general, are very creative people. Like you go through the list of people who are dyslexic and they're very creative people. It's part of their brain that really works. Well, we are, we're not, we don't a lot of times may not be good for that person in the sense, but they're really good people and they can be great. So it made me pause again for a second to go, okay, we have to begin. We have to think about who's sitting in front of us, not just, you know, we need to follow our programs, but we also need to realize these are human beings sitting here. They're not just robots we're creating, but they're human beings. They're people who we need to go, hey, listen, I know this may be a little different for you or that person or whatever, but that means what do we have to do, Dan? We have to know our people. Mm -hmm. That's what it really comes down to, is we have to know our people. I know my kid, so I can do this, right? But it's been one of those things with that having them in the businesses has been majorly important. I would even tell you, I have my older son, who never worked in the business, but now is working in the business world. He works for Finish Line, the shoe store, and, and he runs the store for them and is in, you know, kind of the area manager of one of the West Texas areas. And listening to what he goes through in his world, as I mentioned at SLC, whenever Bruce said businesses, he referred to as uh, business is hard. And he said all business is hard. And watching my son go through and some of the things that he doesn't gain that we get out of Vector, like that's been majorly like, oh my gosh, like you didn't get training on this. Like you didn't get training on that. You didn't get these things. I'm not happy he doesn't get some of the training on it. So let me frame that in properly. But it's awesome to see like, oh man, we don't realize sometimes how good we have it in the vector world with some of these things. So my kids have been very instructional to me in life. How about that? Okay. Yeah. And been a good part of the process. I would even say my middle son, Ethan, being engaged in the business back when he started was a major part of our growth as division into where we ended up at just because it did make me stop re-engaged, which then in turn made a difference across the board, you know, to multiple levels of our business. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. How did you balance it as the kids were growing up and you were trying to have an awesome family life and also run a good business? Like, were we able to strike uh, that balance? So early on, Dan, I didn't. So this is a lesson I could give somebody, man. Again, you give me a whole podcast on this one. <laughs> so I didn't do it well early on. This is where you know my wife is so supportive and so helpful but I, I didn't do a good job in their young years of really balancing well. Like I was, I leaned heavily to the work side. I leaned heavily to that side because I was like, I have to get ahead. I have to get ahead. I have to get ahead. And as I said, I wasn't always really great at it. So I felt like I had to overwork to overcompensate for my process. So I really wasn't very good at it. It took, a, again, a growth process for me to basically come to the point of going, okay, you have the ability to do both. But you have to look at your priorities of both. And you can do both the right way. You know, so in other words, 
there are certain things within the business that are priorities. So instead of just working all the time, what are the priorities that matter, that drive the business, that make the most important things? And then on the family side, what are the priorities that make a difference in those family things and those functions? Whatever those priorities are, and it may seem superficial to some, but my priorities were I wanted to be at all their sporting events. Okay, like That's the thing I wanted to be at. I want to make sure that, that I got a chance to do that. And during their late year, and I say their later years, I mean, my kids aren't that old, but during my oldest son's latter time from basically, I would say his seventh grade year on, and then obviously for my youngest son, that meant from really first grade on, like I, don't, I didn't really miss anything except for if we were out of town in an SLC or out of town in an Olean trip. You know, that was really it because I just said, okay, what are the priorities? What are the priorities? And what you learn if you're a parent out there is this, you can have it both. But the priorities of saying, what in the office, what in the division, what in the process makes the most difference? Mm-hmm. And make sure those things are managed and those things are taken care of. And, you know, I made a change. Like I, I ran the office in Austin and traffic was a bear. And to get out of there and to get to sporting events, I'd have to leave early. And luckily, Lloyd Reagan just looked at me and said, move, move, move to where you live. And I'm like, I can't leave Austin. It's Austin, man. I can't leave Austin. And it's like, move. And what happened the year that I moved? The year that I moved, new business sales went up. FSM business sales went up. Everything went up because I could manage the parts of the business that mattered. So that took a change that seemed dumb in reality to probably most people who knew the territories seemed dumb, but in turn has turned out to be a major win. You moved to like one hour north of Austin, correct? Yeah, I lived I lived an hour from my office, basically. Yeah. And I moved my office basically what would be about 30 minutes closer to my house, 35 minutes closer to my house. Got it. So I just moved to the suburb area, which really, oh, it's just it's all the same. Well, it wasn't. Like it was that's Austin. That's the growing exciting part. And nothing wrong with what I'm at. Obviously, it's a great place. But it was just like that's odd to move out of that. But that was a part of the process of change. That's why you have to look at it as what's the priority, right? And what can you manage? And, and if you're a parent out there, you know, make it a priority because, you know, I was bad at it in the beginning and I'm not going to sit here and try to make up some great story about how good I was. I was bad at it and I figured out how to be really good at it. So now people look at the end game and they go, oh, it's great. Your kids are involved in all this kind of stuff. And it took some learning and it took some time, but the learning and time was based on two things. It just means what are priorities? What are priorities? Like what are my priorities? And then saying, now learn to work a schedule. And that's the other part. You have to learn to work a schedule. I know that's like so elementary. Like that's like, oh, I already knew how to work a schedule. But Dan, how many of us have a schedule? We didn't follow it today. You know, it's like we skipped that one thing. We forgot that one thing. We didn't do that one thing. And sometimes that might mean waking up earlier. Might mean going to bed a little later. It might mean being a little better from the health standpoint of keeping yourself body in the right. There's a myriad of things that you can look at. But that's what I would tell any parent out there. Is yeah, that priorities. That was a great insight. You got to put the big rocks in the jar first, and then you can fill in around them with the little rocks, the less important things. So that was great. Well, Stacy, this has been awesome. And I just want to just wrap up by asking, you know, as you look ahead into the future, five years, 10 years down the road, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? That's a great question. I'm still think I'm still evolving in that regard. So I don't, I don't have a oh, this is my in-game kind of thing. I don't have that. But what I can say is this. I look at Vector and I see myself as a Vector lifer, you know, for the most part. Like, I don't really see myself searching and going other directions unless the direction of the company changed dramatically. All of a sudden, I'm here. 
So that first thing is I believe in what this organization does and organization mean company, like this company does, what this company offers, what this company does for people. So the first thing I would say when you say, hey, what do you plan on doing changing lives? I plan on doing what I'm doing. Like, because I think this does change lives. And there's too many stories, too many people who sent me letters, too many people who say, hey, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be where I'm at. That's one thing. The second thing that really, you know, this is a bigger long term type thing. But um, Trent Booth, when I was doing some coaching with him, you know, we talked with this, and this is a from my spiritual side that, hey, you know, you tie the 10% and all this stuff. He goes, how great would it be if we could get to a point in life where we could keep 10 and give 90? Like, how great would that part be? Mm-hmm. And I always remember that. And it's actually written on my wall that that's the place. If I can get there, you know, financially, not just to get there financially, but just for the sake of being able to go, hey, look what I can do for society. Look what I can do for community. Look what I can do for whatever. That's kind of it. That's where I'd love to do that. Because I... You know, they talk about callings in life and things of that type, but but I like giving. So it's like, okay, well, if I could, if that's it, John Maxwell talks about, you know, your kind of your talents or the things that pulled you forward. It's like, well, that's it. So it's like having that opportunity. So that's another big thing that I would love to be in a place to do and moving to that place. You know, obviously that's a challenging place to get to, <laughs> to that level, but it's kind of like, okay, maybe we can get to the, the 30, 70, the 50, 50, and eventually get to that place. So those are, those are two big things because. When I look at the vector business, I feel like it offers both of those to me, the chance to get there from the finances and the chance to make an impact on people as we're moving forward to that place. And, and ultimately, like, yeah, have a big impact on my family. You know, not, and when I say my family, you know, my oldest son, Brandon, gets, gets married next year, all this kind of stuff. It's like having an impact on all of those people and leaving a legacy on that side. Yeah. Well, you're well on your way to being able to do that, you know, both in the family sense and in the vector sense. You're certainly one of the most respected people in the company, and it's been great to see your success, particularly recently. And I'm very grateful to have had you here for this conversation, Stacey. So thanks very much. Well, thank you, Dan. Appreciate the time. Stacey Campbell, everyone. What a great guy. What a great leader. I loved hearing about the modest means that were a part of Stacey's upbringing and what he learned from that in those early days. I love where he said that the DM role transformed his life. You know, he took on this added responsibility being a district manager. And then, of course, quickly got married, had his first child. And, uh, you know, there's so much that happens when we take responsibility in life, when we take on responsibility in life. There's just so much that comes our way. And you might not always feel ready for that responsibility, but it tends to give us the opportunity to grow into it and to evolve. And I would encourage all of you to draw some lessons from that. Love Stacy's factor about uh, having the right people in the right seats in your organization. And, and not just the idea of getting the right people, but of developing the right people, of investing energy and time into people to help them grow. I needed that when I was a young up-and-comer in this vector business. And most people do need that at some level in their life. The painting of the vision of an organization and the idea that the vision has to be mutual so people see what's in it for them, why they're a part of something special that's going to help them. Stacy's boys working with the company and that he learned about knowing our people. 
right? Really taking an interest and having those personal conversations. And not just that, but I also made a note here about having conversations with our reps' parents. If you're a district manager, right? Like there's an opportunity now, particularly with the prevalence of, you know, Zoom and other online platforms to be able to connect with the parents of our reps very easily and be able to explain to them a little bit more about our process and what we're doing. And I know there's some managers that are doing that regularly and it's having a big impact. And of course, you know, in terms of balancing work and family, Stacy said you can do both the right way. And there was just some great insight in there about figuring out what are our priorities, what are the non-negotiables, building our schedule around those non-negotiable things first, and then being able to go from there. Awesome interview with a great leader. I'm grateful that you took the time to listen to the podcast today. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.